We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. You know, it's 12.02 right now. If they want to fire me at 12.05, I'll go home and find something to do. I'll have a good day. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Thursday, October 25th. Nick Whalen here with Alex Brutha, who joins me via Skype. I think you're about, you're probably like less than 10 minutes from the office right now. Um, but due to a number of complications, we're recording this one via Skype. Uh, we thought that'd be better than just me like shouting from the roof of our office building <laughs> to, your, to your apartment a couple blocks away. Um, but we couldn't miss an episode. I mean, it was a big night in the NBA on Wednesday. I think we had 11 games on the slate. Um, the biggest news, of course, the Chicago Bulls got a win, a team that James and I were trashing on the, on the pod earlier this week. Uh, I would like to make it clear that I stand by my comments about the Bulls. I don't think they're very good. Um, but they were able to beat a, a decent Hornets team, a team that I think is, is certainly in competition for maybe the seven or the eight in the Eastern Conference. Uh, James and I talked quite a bit about Zach Levine, his prospects to to win the scoring title. You know, just as kind of a long shot. You know, there's a sports book we were looking at that had him at like plus ten thousand, which at this point, at those numbers, you know, I would take. I don't think he's going to win the scoring title, but he had another thirty point game, thirty two points, four rebounds, five assists for Levine. So. Through four games, he's got 30, 33, 34, and 32. Uh, he's taken at least 19 shots in three of those games. He's playing a ton of minutes. Um, and the Bulls just lost Bobby Portis. You know, Obviously, they're without Chris Dunn. They're without Larry Markkinen. So for the time being, I mean, this is going to be Zach Levine's team kind of no matter what this year. But for the next few weeks until those guys kind of start working their way back into the rotation, we're going to see a lot more games like this from Levine, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, he, he kind of made a comment. I think it was uh, before the Charlotte game about how, uh, you know, Coach Hoiberg has to do a better job of, like, riding the hot hand, uh, which is very, very clearly about himself. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, Levine is going to be taking, I mean, like you said, with Dunn out, um, who only played one game, and Portis out, um, that's that. 
I mean, Levine's already averaging almost 20 shots a game. I don't really see that going down at all because now the only other scoring options on the team are, I guess, I mean, Jabari Parker is probably going to put up his fair uh, share of shots and get more of an opportunity than he was going to have before. And Justin Holiday is probably going to launch up a ton of shots because the only other options really in the backcourt are like Cameron Payne. And um, Wendell Carter's gotten some more minutes. But I'm not really sure how much they want to play him at the four. So that complicates things a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they've been starting Carter at the five. He played 30 minutes last night. Uh, Cameron Payne had seven threes, <clears throat> excuse me, by the way, which I'm not even going to check. I'm gonna, just going to say that's definitely a career high. Um, <laughs> probably really like the main reason that they were able to beat Charlotte is because he he had a game like that. But yeah, I mean, you look up and down this roster, you know, you take away Bobby Portis, a guy who, you know, per minute is always near the top of the league in, in terms of field goal attempts. You take him away, and now it's Levine. Presumably Jabari will move back into the starting lineup. I mean, if it's not him, they really don't have another option. I mean, I'd, you'd, you'd be starting Felicio or, or Chandler Hutchinson, uh, who actually looked pretty good last night, had a huge dunk in that game. Um, <clears throat> but I think, you know, Jabari by default will, will sneak back in there, and maybe this will be his time, you know, to, to kind of reassert himself after a pretty disappointing preseason and, you know, a, a relatively disappointing start to the regular season, I think, uh, compared to where people had him ranked, you know, in you know at July, August, uh, at, at the time that he came to Chicago. Um, the Bulls were, were winless before last night. The only other remaining winless teams in the league right now after the Lakers uh, took care of the Suns last night are the Oklahoma City Thunder. They play Boston tonight, uh, so pretty decent chance that they'll remain defeated. And the Cleveland Cavaliers, who at this point in the year, um, I, I mean, do you think, have they solidified themselves as the worst team in the NBA? Like, it, like right now, if someone's like, you have to put $100 on any team to finish with the worst record, would it be the Cavs? Uh, it's, for me, it's between the Cavs and the Knicks right now. Um, I think the other teams that were kind of hovering around that bottom definitely have like, more pieces than than the Cavs. Um, and it's it's going to be even worse now that, we don't know the extent of Kevin Love's injury, but he was ruled out of, you know, like, I don't know, eight hours before um, before this game on Thursday. So I who's the, I mean, who's their best player after Kevin Love? Is it Chetty Osman? Like, I'm not really sure. Um, if you read the reports from training camp, it was Jordan Clarkson. I think it was Kyle Korver was on the record before the opener saying that nobody could guard Jordan Clarkson in practice. <laughs> training camp. I think. Which like I think it's I, more of a function of yeah, who he's playing against, right? right. He's my my reading of players. yeah, it's like those like there's no one on the team who can guard him. That's that's the issue. It's not like he's playing that well, uh, but he's actually been decent. They haven't played him that much. I think he's been he scored at least like twelve or thirteen points in every game off the bench so far. Uh, the Athletic Joe Varden published a report earlier this week that the Cavs are basically split in terms of Ty Lue versus the front office. The front office wants to to shade the rotation, you know, more in favor of younger players, Jetty Osman, Sexton, uh, you know, Zizic is probably in that category, Sam Decker, who they traded for, Larry Nance, uh, whereas Ty Lue is kind of on the same page as, as Kyle Korver, J.R. Smith, Kevin Love, you know, guys he's kind of been to war with. Um, and there was a note in there that Kevin Love was promised that if he re-signed with Cleveland, they wouldn't do any tanking. And I mean, this is this is on him, right? Like, I don't think he got double crossed here. Like, look at this roster. I don't I don't think it matters. You know, they played they played J.R. Smith last night. They played Kyle Korver last night. Both those guys were terrible. They were held out of the previous game in favor of the young guys and they got blown out by the Nets. So, I mean, the roster is just not talented. I mean, and, and I think I think it not not that we really needed any confirmation but the fact that lebron basically dragged this identical roster i mean 12 of 15 guys are back like this is for the most part the cavs team that was in the finals last year you take lebron away and, and all of a sudden they look like far and away the worst team in the eastern conference i will say though i think sacramento's got a run in it you know i think they'll maybe lose 11 or 12 straight once they get into the thick of their schedule but i mean even last night they you know, they beat the Grizzlies, you know, a Grizzlies team that lost Marc Gasol during that game, uh, a Grizzlies team that already has a few other injuries that have that have been impactful. But, I mean, that's probably a game that Sacramento doesn't win last year. Jaron Fox has looked a lot better. Buddy Heald had 23 points in that game. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I think Sacramento, to me, is still penciled in as the worst team in the West. Yeah, that that's for sure. And, I mean, as far as Cleveland, yeah, we I mean, we know Jordan Clarkson can get good numbers on bad teams like we saw him do with the Lakers. I mean, that's not really a surprise he leads the Cavs right now in scoring per 36 oh. um 
And yeah, it's a, that's what it's all about right Love there. Um, in all my per 36 fantasy leagues, you know, he's doing really well. Um, but it's just, yeah, I mean, may, I guess they promised Kevin Love that they wouldn't tank, but it's there's kind of a difference between like, we're not going to actively try to lose games. And while well, we just are, we're going to try to win all these games where our roster is just not competing with anybody. And I'm not sure exactly what Kevin Love agreed to in that scenario, but this roster is definitely um, not looking great at all. I, I think Kevin Love maybe overvalued himself. I think the Cavs maybe <laughs> overvalued Kevin Love, which, you know, no no fault of his own. He's a good player, but Kevin Love has never really been a winning player. You know, even even when he was at his absolute peak in Minnesota, I think they, they topped out at 41 wins or 40 wins one year. You know, I think that was like the best case scenario for Cleveland. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's it's just kind of it's just kind of delusional on both parts, right? Like if, if, if you're Ty Lue and you say, you know, we thought we were going to make a run at the playoffs this year. I want to play my vets. The vets are J.R. Smith. The vets are Tristan Thompson, Kyle Korver, like below average, well below average in some cases, NBA players. And, and I don't think there's really that much of a drop off, I guess, is what I'm trying to say between playing J.R. Smith and playing Jordan Clarkson, which honestly, it pains me to say. Right. And I guess the, you know, maybe the, the one hope that you have that the Cavs might be able to win some games like we're assuming Kevin Love is you know the foot injury is fine but he's only shooting 32 percent from the field and 29 percent from three so if you assume those go up to his you know his essentially uh, normal numbers then he'll be averaging like closer to 25 points a game and maybe he'll be able to pull some wins out that way because if Kevin Love is shooting you know essentially like 30 percent from the field 30 percent from the three-point line you just aren't you, there isn't enough talent to mm-hmm. um, to bring them up. And Cleveland's schedule hasn't been super tough. You know, they were in Toronto on opening night. That, that's obviously difficult. Then they went at Minnesota, uh, but that was a game that that I believe Jimmy Butler sat out. So they kind of caught a break there, right? And and then they they played Atlanta and Brooklyn, which I think you know those are probably two games before the year that they would have felt pretty good about. Oh, I'm sorry, Jimmy Butler did play in that game. He he sat out Minnesota's next game, uh, but then they're they're at Detroit tonight um they have indiana on saturday atlanta on tuesday an early season rematch already that's maybe a win but but after that you know you start mixing in some of these western conference teams and i mean other than sacramento you really can't feel good about this Cavs team you know playing i would say what 13 out of 15 teams in the west i mean dallas has been a little disappointing so far uh but even there you know talent to talent i think dallas is head and shoulders above cleveland yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. It's just, it's really hard to justify not playing all the young players on, on the Cavs at this point. Like, I know it's only four games through the season, like, but I mean, still, like, I, yeah. why is David Nawaba now in the court and why is J.R. Smith out there and right. stuff like that? And Nawaba hadn't even been active. I think he was activated last night. Um, but yeah, I mean, the fact that you're not even just getting him a few minutes of action, uh, given the circumstances, I mean, at some point, I, I think they'll kind of have to flip that switch. Corver will get traded. I think that's a foregone conclusion, but someone like Jr. I mean, there's, I don't know what veteran team is looking to add Jr. Smith. You know, this version of Jr. I, I don't think anyone's looking to take on Tristan Thompson's money. Um, they're they're in a tough spot, and you know, obviously that the team is in better shape than that that ragtag crew that that took over in 2010-11. You know, at least you have some recognizable names, uh, but at the same time, I mean, I, I think they're. We we knew this. I mean, James and I talked about it. You and I talked about it. Like it was never really realistic for them, you know, to to remain above five hundred in the East. And you know, I think you and I probably believe they were they were going to struggle to get to thirty wins. And that's certainly what it looks like. Lakers got a win last night. We don't have to spend too much time on this. Um, I mean, it went. The Suns look like the Suns. You know, they had they had a couple nice games to begin the year, but this was really never all that close. LeBron barely played, if at all, in the fourth quarter which was nice because there were a lot of games last year where, you know, the Cavs would be up 10 or 12, you know, late in the third quarter and all of a sudden LeBron would have to come back in and, you know, <laughs> Ty Lue's talking about limiting in his minutes. LeBron's talking about limiting his minutes. And all of a sudden he's played 39 minutes. Uh, but he, he only played 28 minutes in a, in an 18 point win on the road. I know it's the Phoenix suns, um, but that's still encouraging nonetheless, if you're the Lakers. Yeah, it is. Um, and I mean, they were able to get, you know, some guys like Sfima Hailuk, they got him some run and people have been like, he's, he could be a, you know, once he gets more comfortable playing in the NBA, like he's, he's a knockdown three point shooter and, and LeBron always needs more guys like that. So, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's definitely good. And it looks like Jonathan Williams is, 
is just going to like get the backup center minutes over uh, Zubac at this point, um, which I don't think most people were expecting. And but yeah, it's nice that LeBron actually <laughs> might be able to catch a break this year as far as minutes. Yeah, no, for sure. All right, that's enough LeBron talk. Enough Lakers talk. We should probably briefly mention that Steph Curry had 11 threes and 51 points last night. Um, I was watching that game a little bit on League Pass. I kind I thought they should have put him back in. He didn't play at all in the fourth quarter, and it wasn't like it was that much of a blowout. I mean, the final score, the Warriors put up 144. Um, you know, ended up ended up winning by by 22 points. But I, I mean, I didn't think the game was like so out of hand that it would have been egregious to put Steph back in. I think they were up. I mean maybe 20 at the time which in the nba i don't know that's not crazy you know the warriors have certainly held him out of you know bigger routes um and the way he was playing i mean i i genuinely think if i was kind of rooting for washington to go on a run to make it close enough that they had to put him back in i mean that looked like a night that curry was like fully capable you know if he really wanted to of getting to 70 yeah yeah and and, and you want to see that especially since he only played I mean, like you said, he only played like 31, 32 minutes. Mm-hmm. They could have put him in for some extra time and 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 tried to get him to at least 60 or 55 or something. But um, I, yeah, I think as as we kind of get just with the way the the Warriors playoff run went last year, where they came very close to getting bounced by Houston without Chris Paul, um, that I think Steve Kerr is really just putting an emphasis on not playing guys mm-hmm. when you know, they don't have to. Right. No, I mean, it was kind of Curry's un- own undoing too. I mean, this was a 10 point game with about four and a half left in the third quarter. And that's about the point that I turned it on. I was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta catch this fourth quarter. And then it was two Steph free throws, uh, Steph and one three pointer makes, makes a free throw, another Steph three, another Steph three, two more, <laughs> two more Steph free throws, another Steph three to end the quarter. All of a sudden, um, you know, you're looking at an at an 18 point deficit for the Wizards at the end of the third. So he he actually heated up too much at the end of the third and presented prevented himself from playing in the fourth. But they threw Durant out there in the fourth, so it wasn't like they you know they pulled the starting five and that was it. Like Durant was out there to begin. Um, I don't know. I I just wish Steve Kerr would would play along a little bit more. But like you said, you know, they I, I think more than ever coming off of Finals run number four, um, you know, they're gonna be they're gonna be cautious with Steph. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Okay, we got well, let's talk Trey Young, Luka Doncic. Sure. Did you catch any of that game? You and I had a rec game uh that was like right in the middle of all these games last night. So, you know, it was kind of like, all right, we'll watch the first half of these and then catch the second half of the late games. Um, but I I left for our rec game with Trey Young looking really bad. He, he you know, he was just <laughs> just wasn't himself, you know, wasn't didn't look like the Trey Young we saw put up 35 against Cleveland the other night. Um and meanwhile, Luka Doncic looked really good. Um, and then we arrive at our game, you know, on the other side of town, and all of a sudden it's tied, and, and the Hawks ended up winning. I thought Doncic outplayed Trey Young for most of the game, um, but I, with every passing game, I, I'm feeling like I have to maybe eat crow a little bit on Trey Young. You know, I, I do think he's still going to have a lot of down games this year, but I mean, even last night, three of twelve from the field, just one of three from the three point line, but he got to the line thirteen times and still managed seventeen points, five assists, four rebounds in twenty six minutes. Uh, in a win against, you know, not a good Mavs team, but but also not just a pushover. Right, and yeah, I I, I I'm in the same boat as you, where I had concerns about Trey Young, especially you know his high turnover rate. I was worried about him um, finishing at the rim, um, playing through contact. I just really was not expecting him. He's he's I think he's got like a two and a half assist to turnover ratio right now right now, which isn't amazing. Um, but for a rookie point guard, it's it's good enough. And yeah, getting to the line 13 times in a game, I think he's averaging, um, I should double check, but it's five and a half free throws a game. Um, was not expecting it. Um, my my main concern about him, I guess, going forward is that his the matchups that he's been in haven't been especially difficult. No. Um, he's played against New York, Memphis, Cleveland, and Dallas. So I, I'm... I'm really encouraged by what I'm seeing by Trey Young, but I also um, definitely want to see how he how he plays against tougher competition. No, that's a really fair point. I mean, those are four of the bottom what eight nine teams in the league. I think you know Memphis. We'll kind of see where where they end up, but yeah, I mean he's got the Bulls at home on Saturday, which I, I think is probably <laughs> one of those eight or nine teams. So another easy matchup. I mean, nobody has an easier schedule to begin the year than Atlanta, right? This is right. crazy. Uh, but then they're at Philly. 
uh, at Cleveland again next Tuesday, home against Sacramento. This is insane. They have they're basically <laughs> playing one. They're playing Philly, one good team in their first eight games, uh, but then kind of by default, it toughens up a little bit. So starting Saturday, November third, they go Miami at Charlotte, New York, Detroit, the Lakers, Warriors, Nuggets, Pacers, Clippers, Raptors, Celtics. Uh, so we're gonna yeah. I mean that that might be the point. I, I've always joked about. I think Atlanta's gonna go on this long losing streak. Uh, I think that might be the time for it. Yeah, and Doncic is kind of in the same boat as well. Uh, his matchups were Phoenix, sure. Minnesota, Chicago, Atlanta. Um, the main thing about Doncic, I just wasn't expecting him to shoot as much as he has been. Yeah, I was kind of expecting more assists out of him and less shooting, but he's taking 16 shots a game, 42% from the field, 29% from three. I assume the three-pointers will go up. Um, not really impressed with the 62% free-throw shooting um but i uh overall yeah I, I definitely like what i've seen so far from Doncic. he's had a lot of fast starts i mean against phoenix he was great in in the opener last week um and then kind of tailed off at the end of that game when phoenix pulled away and it was the same you know watching him last night he came out really strong he had a couple he had a couple of step back threes in the first half had a couple of nice drives um and he finished with 21 points i mean we got to remember these guys are rookies and that's you know 21 9 and 2 it's still a pretty nice game, um, you know, for a guy his age. But yeah, he does he does kind of seem to have you know maybe expend a little too much energy uh, early on in games and has trouble in the second half. But I do agree with you. I thought he was gonna you know maybe look more like like a Lonzo Ball style of play mm-hmm. as a rookie. And obviously Lonzo is a really unique player, and, and they're not really all that similar. But I thought those kind of lines, you know, where he would have a game where he'll you know he'll play thirty two minutes, but he'll only take five shots, but he'll have nine assists, eight rebounds a steal and a block stuff like that but you know last night 18 shots he took nine threes I think that's pretty encouraging I mean there's not really anyone else maybe other than Dennis Smith uh, and Wes Matthews taking threes that you'd really want you know taking more shots than Luka Doncic on this roster yeah I agree and he's doing a lot better than I had anticipating kind of getting to the shots that he likes mm-hmm. that step back three is a lot more I mean I, I didn't expect it to be as to work as well for him to get as much space as he's been getting um and he seems to really like that that pick and roll floater and that 14 13 foot area mm-hmm. which can be a, a really deadly shot if you know if he's in rhythm which he which he was against atlanta he he hit a lot of those um and so yeah he's he's uh definitely a much more talented scorer than than i was anticipating yeah, I, I never feel like he's going to miss that step back. You know, he missed he missed probably five of them last night, but it always looks like at least off the hand that it's going to go in the basket. Uh, quick note from our sponsor, our presenting sponsor, DraftKings.com. We are now in the midst of the NBA season, and once again, we have partnered up with DraftKings.com to bring you a free RotoWire six-month membership. Here's how it works. Go to RotoWire.com slash DraftKings, sign up for a new account, and make a $10 deposit or more. At that point, you'll get a free six-month subscription to rotowire.com that includes all of our tools all of our sports dfs lineup optimizers weekly rankings articles full season draft software everything on the site all for that ten dollar or more deposit you can then use that deposit to enter it into DraftKings contest and win even more money we're excited to bring you this deal again and if you want access to our site right away go to rotowire.com slash DraftKings and follow the instructions again that's rotowire.com slash DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions do apply. New DraftKings users only. See DraftKings.com for details. So, the best five-man lineup in the NBA right now. Uh, most most of these lineups have you know barely played an, enough minutes to even get any sort of sample from this. But the New Orleans Pelicans um, are basically running through everyone right now. The pace has been you know kind of right where we thought it would be. I think, you know, in terms of where they left off last season, um, you know, after the departure of of DeMarcus Cousins, you know, they they kind of flipped the script in terms of how they operate. And, you know, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a huge surprise that they're sitting at 3-0 and right now. Um, but the way that they've done it, I mean, 131 in Houston on opening night, 149 against Sacramento in their next game. Only, I'm, I'm doing air quotes, only 116 against the Clippers on Tuesday. Uh, and they they have the Brooklyn Nets at home tomorrow night in, in another game that I think it's just going to be up and down. Um, I mean, how encouraged have you been by by how seamlessly it seems that not only Alfred Payton has fit with this team, uh, but also the combination of Miritich and Randall, you know, kind of switching off being the number two guy up front to Anthony Davis? 
Yeah, I'm, I, I really love the start by the Pelicans. I um, was pretty high on them in general. A lot of people, I, I don't want to say a lot of people thought they were going to miss the playoffs, but I had them pretty much as a lock. Um, and I, I don't think a lot of other people felt that way. Um, which, I mean, this could, you know, come back. <laughs> this may regress to, yeah, to top, something. Take that victory lap. I will. I will while I can. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the team has looked great. I mean, they can with, I mean, I wasn't expecting Nikola Miritich to take, uh, you know, two more shots a game than Anthony Davis. Um, and he's shooting the lights out right now, but I think the pieces of this team do work really well. I mean, you get Randall off the benches, that 20 to 30 minute energy guy can play both front court spots. He can play next to Miritich um, if if that's the way they want to go. And they just have a lot of different um, they have a lot of different lineup combinations that they can experiment with. And they have shooters on the wing, which is <clears throat> obviously really important. Um, so I think, <clears throat> excuse me, that they can that they can continue this. Um, not that they'll, you know, I, I don't know how high of a seed they'll be, but they they definitely are. They look great right now. All the pieces do. Yeah, well, they haven't even unleashed the secret weapon. They traded for Wesley Johnson. He hasn't even seen the floor yet. So they have <laughs> they have weird weird depth on the wing. I, I don't really like any of those guys all that much individually. You know, I mean, we're talking Etwan Moore, Darius Miller, Solomon Hill, and now Wesley Johnson. But in years past, they were so thin. You know, it felt like Solomon Hill was always injured. You know, someone like Darius Miller at that time, you know, was just breaking into the NBA. Um, so at least now they have options. You know, they've kind of gone all in on Davis, you know, the point guard position. If Alfred Payton gets hurt at all, they might be in real trouble. You know, they haven't really given Frank Jackson all that much run yet, though they do like him long term. But they're a team to me that if Anthony Davis plays 72 games, they'll be in really good shape. It's hard for me to see them missing the playoffs. But if he misses time at all, you know, they're going to be they're going to have a lot of games where it's it's just tough for them to beat, you know, even average teams. But Miritich, I mean... My God, he has been, I mean, Randall's been really good off the bench. He's been kind of limited, but, you know, we, I always kind of thought this was going to be a, a 50, 50 split with maybe Randall ending up, you know, being the, the guy who gets the lion's share of the minutes. But so far they really haven't been able to keep Miritich off the floor. I mean, he was 0 of 6 from three on Tuesday, but still had 18 and 12. And in the two games prior to that 30 and 10 in the opener and then 36 and nine uh, against Sacramento on Friday. So, I mean, not only is he just raining threes. I mean, in those two games, he was 11 of 17 from three, uh, but he's also contributing as a rebounder too, which, I mean, I don't really think of him in that role. Right, right. And I think he, I mean, he's just a great option to have next to Anthony Davis. He can stretch the floor, but he can also score. I mean, a lot. I think a lot of people kind of just envision him as this kind of spot-up shooter, but he can work from the post. He can hit fadeaways. He can do some jump hooks. Um and yeah, he's he's been impressive as a rebounder, which I, I wasn't expecting him to be to be grabbing ten rebounds a game, um, even even remotely close. And um, so yeah, I think I think the putting Randall next to Davis is still kind of a you, you have to work to do that because Davis still isn't um, really a willing three point shooter. So you're you're kind of finding other ways to make that work smoothly. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm definitely really encouraged by what I've seen from Miritich and. Like it's not he's not going to keep averaging thirty and ten, but I wouldn't be surprised if he if he settled into like twenty two and eight or something like that. Forty and ten. 40, 40 and fifteen. Yeah. So speaking of rebounds, Giannis is currently leading the league in boards. Um, that's probably not sustainable. Although I mean, like I said to James the other day, he is basically the Bucks' primary rebounder when he's on the court. Like Brook Lopez is the furthest thing from a rebounding center that you have in the NBA and you know Chris Middleton rebounds his position Eric Bledsoe rebounds pretty well for his size and his position Ursan same thing like there's not another like rebounding vacuum on this team or another you know big guy who who comes in and just you know automatically gets his eight rebounds off the bench like when Giannis is out there he's going to have all these rebounding opportunities you know I mean through four games he's got 18 15 15 18 he's got at least three offensive rebounds in all those games he had nine offensive rebounds against the Knicks over the weekend, um, or excuse me, on Tuesday. I, I mean, 16 and a half rebounds is not sustainable, but I mean, I, we're going to have to tweak our projections on the site. I, I think at some point like, he's going to settle in in that, in that like 12, 13, maybe even close to 14 range, right? Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, the we know, we know Brooke Lopez is more of a box out guy. Like he just boxes out and lets someone else get the rebound. And the way that we've seen the Bucks play where they play this rocket style where on the fast break, 
you know, two guys go with the corner, two guys go with the wing. It makes sense for Giannis to have the ball, to get the rebound, to run the ball up, then have everyone else on the floor get to their spots so that he can either run up the floor in transition and pass to one of them or just drive to the basket um, with minimal resistance. So I think, yeah, I mean, I don't think 16 and a half rebounds is, is sustainable, but I mean, he averaged 10 last year. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't surprise me if, like you said, 12 or 13, because that's the Bucks have a very like set system right now. And it makes, it just makes a ton of sense for Youngs to can continue doing what he's doing. So um, yeah, I think, I, I think we can expect um, 12 or 13 from him. Plus, like you said, he's, he's, he's on the offensive glass as well. Mm-hmm. So the Bucks, uh, the Bucks starting five is eleventh in terms of net rating, and among lineups that have played at least forty minutes. So that Pelicans starting five is number one. Uh, Bucks have an, a one eleven offensive rating, a one hundred point nine defensive rating with the starters on the court. So that comes out to a ten point two net rating, which honestly for early season samples isn't all that great. Uh, but they've they've just gotten contributions from pretty much everybody who comes in. Ursan had two charges. Last night had a key charge midway through the fourth quarter and then was immediately taken out of the game, which I, I thought was bizarre. Um, Jason Kidd just robbing him of the opportunity for a hat trick. Um, the, I mean, the bench has been good. Brogdon's been really good as a starter. You know, they haven't even used Matthew Delvadova. I think he's played four total minutes and, and he was he was sick last night, so it wasn't even active. Thon Maker's been, you know, active, inactive night to night. So, I mean... Two years ago, they signed Matthew Delvadova to be not a core piece for this team, but certainly a contributor off the bench. And he's just kind of out of the mix completely. Dante DiVincenzo seems to have just overtaken that that role. Um, and now Thon Maker, who you know wasn't great for most of last season, but looked really, really good in that first round series against Boston. You know, I, I think unless there's an injury or unless John Henson falls out of favor, we might not see much of him either. Yeah, I, I think. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of clear that I, I don't think Bugenholzer is a, a huge fan of Delavadova or Maker's fit in the Bucks offense. I mean, it's it's kind of upset, like, you know, us being Bucks fans, like, we understand the potential of Thon Maker, right? And he theoretically makes sense within the Bucks offense. He's a, he's a floor-spacing big. Um, but I just, um, you know, Hensing has been solid this year. He's even taken a few threes, um, which is very unexpected. Uh, and... Yes. Yeah, it's extremely unexpected. That's that. That's maybe more unexpected than like Andre Drummond or Dwight Howard trying to shoot threes. Like I never even like nothing about John Henson's game would even suggest that he should be shooting mid range jumpers, let alone threes. No, no. And I was I was at that Knicks game, and like he he took, I think he took one, and then he took a second one that was kind of like a questionable one, and Boonholzer pulled him like right away, like immediately was like Brook Lopez like get in this game, take him out. So. I don't think we'll continue seeing John Henson take two threes a game. I think one three a game is realistic. But honestly, if I'm encouraged about anything, it's Chris Middleton shooting eight threes a game. Um, he was at, let me double check here. He was at five threes per game last season. And I mean, he's basically a, a career 40% three-point shooter. So it makes sense for him to just be shooting closer to eight threes than five threes. Um, and we know he can work a little bit of ISO in the post as well. And he's, he's playing really well, 24 points, six rebounds, three and a half assists and a steal. Um, I think he has a strong chance of, of making the all-star game this year. I think so too. I mean, I don't think he's a guy who would even really be on the radar if he was in the West, to be honest. And that's probably not fair, but if the bucks continue at this pace, you know, if they go 82 and no, it's going to be tough to keep him out. But <laughs> I mean, if the bucks are a top three team in mid January, you know, when we start voting, I I think if it's like Chris Middleton versus yeah, I don't know I'm looking down the standings Chris Middleton versus like Al Horford you know who would maybe be the the second or third Celtic or Chris Chris Middleton versus Goran Dragic or you know even Kemba Walker and he's kind of he's kind of in that tier now of players you know certainly not a, a primary star probably not even in like the tier two of stars but um, a guy who. I think the way that he plays is, is probably never going to get the recognition that he quite deserves. But I mean, if you, if you want to compare him to someone like a Brad Beal, I mean, those guys to me in terms of production and, and what they bring on both ends are, are pretty much neck and neck. But my guess is that most people would say that Brad Beal is the better player. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, I don't know if I'm that's not... true. I'm just saying if you pulled a hundred people, most yes. people would probably say Brad Beal is better. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I don't necessarily agree that Chris Middleton. I, I think Chris Middleton's better than Bradley Beal, yeah. but I'd probably get a lot. Of, probably, like you said, get some pushback on yeah. that. I think, like, I think in terms of ceiling, like Brad Beal at his best is better than Chris Middleton at his best. But yes. over an 82 game sample, you know, fitting within what they're asked to do in their offenses, I, I think Middleton is pretty much the ideal second guy next to Giannis. All right, we are also brought to you by Playline.com, the fastest growing sports gaming platform in the space we have a chance to win a million dollars for free every single day they're giving out over a billion dollars in prizes this year it was founded by ufc champion michael bisping and two-time nba all-star roy hibbert playline.com is a fantasy sports website simplified unlike more traditional fantasy sites which require you to set a complicated and tedious daily lineup using a salary cap playline picks the players for you and only requires you to predict their stat lines how many points will lebron score tonight how many rebounds will anthony davis pull down how many assists will james harden have how many long twos will michael beasley take lock it in and wait for your winnings for a limited time playline.com will be offering a 200 percent initial deposit bonus they will triple your money you just cannot beat that on any other dfs site use our promo code mba millionaire on playline.com again that promo code is NBA millionaire on playline.com. Last note on the Bucks. I mean, this is no secret if you've watched even five minutes of any Bucks game, but the style is, is night and day. James and I went in depth on this on Tuesday, so we won't say too much about it. Uh, but 76% of the Bucks shots through four games are coming from either zero to three feet, so basically the restricted area, or beyond the three point line. I mean, that, that leaves basically a quarter of your shots are coming from, you know, the paint. Uh, or the mid-range, and they've virtually eliminated the mid-range uh, altogether at this point. I think something like 5% of their shots are coming in that in that kind of long mid-range area, which is you know really objectively uh, the worst the worst shot in basketball. Um, so meanwhile, I mean, you look at a team, you know, like the worst team in the league, the Cavaliers, they are leading the league in two-point percentage uh, in terms of number of shots from two-point range. Uh, and, and the Bucks are now you know, in terms of shot profile, like pretty close to the Houston Rockets, uh, which is which is crazy. I mean, I think the Bucks are at 4.5% of their shots are coming from between 16 feet and the three-point line. Houston's down at 2.2, which, which is pretty incredible in its own right. Um, but they've completely overhauled this offense. Uh, like I said, I mean, it's very noticeable, even if you're not, you know, someone who looks at advanced stats, the way that they run the floor, the way that you have Brooke Lopez coming basically coming off of screens at times and catching and shooting like he's JJ Redick. Um it's it's been really really good for Giannis and and obviously if you watched last night it just when he gets a one-on-one matchup the floor is so spread out that teams just can't you know crunch down on him uh, in the lane and and kind of trap him as they've been able to these last couple of years and and really that's led to a lot of opportunities for him to to not only finish at the basket but also to get to the line. Yeah, I'm looking through the the Bucks stats here. I mean, you, they have if you round up, there are five players on the team taking over four three pointers per game. Um, I mentioned Middleton before at seven point eight. Lopez is taking seven threes a game. Eric Bledsoe is putting up six threes a game and impressively only turning the ball over one and a half times a game compared to seven assists. I think that's kind of flying under the radar. Brogdon's at five attempts and and Giannis is at four attempts, although he's been incredibly unsuccessful. Um, you know, but he's taking 21 two-point attempts per game, which is just an insane number. I haven't really looked at the leaderboard for that, but I'm not sure who else would be taking 20 two-point attempts per game. Um, yeah, the the style is incredible. Um, it's I really can't emphasize how drastically different <laughs> it is to, to for as someone who like watches yeah. most Bucks games. I've had so many you know friends from Wisconsin text me over this last week just basically asking like how how do we not make this switch sooner um a lot of a lot of jason kidd bashing which is for the <laughs> most part for the most part fair uh, i think he was pretty re- i mean not that not that jason kidd or, or not that anybody knew i thought you know that mike budenholzer was going to overhaul things to this degree um and it's not like everyone was begging to to run the houston rockets offense under jason kidd necessarily but um you know to have the foresight uh, i guess for for mike budenholzer to to institute this from game one, you know, it wasn't even like he, he let things play out for a little bit and then made a change. You know, it was, this is how we're going to play. You know, he, he'd obviously watched the bucks on tape before taking the job, but you know, to, to have the confidence to, to instill a completely new system with mostly the same players, uh, I think is deserving of praise. And, 
you know, we'll, we'll kind of cross this bridge when we get there, but I think it's pretty safe to throw Budenholzer already on the short list of, of coach of the year candidates in the early going. Oh yeah. That's no question. I think he, I mean, yeah, Bugenholzer coach of the year candidate. Giannis is a legitimate MVP candidate. Yes. Um, I think Giannis those... is good. I'm, I'm going to say it. I mean, it's <laughs> probably going to generate a little bit of backlash, but I think he's good. Yeah. I'm going to have to agree. Okay. Um, over under December 1st, Markel Fultz is out of the starting lineup. Uh, bef- before, I guess the under at that point. Um, I was kind of asked this question like two weeks ago. We talked about a little bit on the Friday edition, like how long is this thing going to last? I'm completely out on on this Markel Fultz starting like the first half. And then he gets J.J. Redick starts the second half. And then Markel Fultz like never plays in crunch time. It's like you're trying to build his confidence by starting him in the first half, but then never playing him when the game's actually on the line. So I'm not really sure like how that is supposed to help. Um, and he's clearly just kind of a, a problematic fit because when you have Ben Simmons and Markel Fultz on the floor, you try to pass the ball to Joel Embiid in the post, he immediately gets triple teamed. Um, and right now it just seems like TJ McHale and JJ Redick are clearly just better fits for the team overall. Yeah. Yeah. I have to agree. I mean, I, I think, you know, the number that's been floating around probably most popularly over the last couple of weeks is, you know, the Sixers starting five at the best net rating in the league last year. Why would you mm-hmm. mess around with that? And I mean, I, I kind of get where Brett Brown's coming from. You know, I, I think Marco Fultz was drafted, obviously, with the belief that he would be a starter. And it almost kind of seemed like a speak it into existence type of situation. Like if we put him, <laughs> if we put him in the starting lineup, he'll play like he should be in the starting lineup. And I, I really... I'm starting to feel kind of silly. I was pretty high on Markel Fultz this season. Um, I watched the Drew Hanlon videos. I really, I really thought the shot was going to be fixed. And I mean, I saw, I saw him with my own eyes hit a three pointer last night. So like, to me, honestly, that's not even that big of an issue. Like the shot has been okay. You know, his free throw shooting is still a little iffy, but it's night and day. But like last year, he looked like he was shooting a medicine ball when he was at the free throw line. You know, and and he's only at fifty percent right now, but it, it at least looks a lot better. You know, like I said, he hit a three last night. He's he's three of six from three on the year, and and every single one of his attempts has been wide open. And you know, so you kind of have to to build that in. But the three point shooting to me hasn't been that much of an issue. He just he doesn't he's not doing the things that at the end of last year made me so encouraged about him this year. You know, when he came back for those ten games at the end of the regular season, he he was not interested in shooting jump shots from any distance, let alone three. And, you know, still had some some really strong games in limited minutes. You know, he had the triple-double in game 82 in 25 minutes. He had 10 assists, obviously, in that game. He had at least three or four assists in pretty much every game once he came back. And there were just flashes of, like, wow, man, once this guy gets a jump shot, he's really going to be okay. And now that I wouldn't say he has a jump shot, but he has a better jump shot than he had at that time, it, it kind of seems like the the other positives that were that were present at the end of last season just just haven't really been there yeah i mean teams are are unquestionably like they go every screen that's set they go under it they dare him to shoot even 14 footers he doesn't he likes to shoot the 14 footers he's not much of uh he gets in those screen situations he i think he shoots a lot more than he should rather than kind of resetting the offense or kicking it back out um so that that makes it really tough for him and so like he has to prove he can he can make them and he hasn't really necessarily done that and so, yeah, like you said, I think there's some issues even even just beyond the shot about his kind of ability to like play the point guard position at a right. plus level, um, which I haven't really seen from him. So, I mean, that more than anything is my main concern um, about him going forward on, on the 76ers. But to be fair, he's being asked to play a weird spot. You know, he's he's always been a oh, point he guard. Is, yeah. he's, a, he's a primary ball handler that plays on a team that has like the 6'11" power forward center guy who also handles the ball a ton like it's it's a tough spot for anybody to be in and, and honestly like jj reddick is kind of the perfect guy yes. you know just because because of what he offers as a shooter and he's been really good we should say to start the year and i'm with you i think it's only a matter of time before they make that switch um but yeah i mean to me it seems like fultz kind of makes up his mind before a possession what he's going to do you know like he's he's the jump shots that he's hit have been kind of right in the middle of the lane, almost at the free throw line off the dribble. You know, it's, it's like a two dribble left pull up and he's able to hit those consistently. But when that shot's not there, it doesn't seem like he has another plan. You know, like he'll, you know, he'll kind of look like he's going to gather for a shot. If it's not there, he'll just back it out and stand around or he'll, you know, he'll kind of make an ill-advised drive out of control to the rim. Like he just doesn't, he doesn't have that, that 
quick twitch, you know, versatility on offense that that we saw at Washington. And you know, I, I really don't don't know what to think of it. I don't I don't think we've ever seen anything like this. You know, I I don't think it's an issue of you know the NBA game is too fast for him. That doesn't really seem to be it. You know, he I I'm not even of the belief that there was really ever a shoulder injury. I don't think it's physical. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's tough from, from our perspective to say, but it does still seem like, you know, whatever, whatever mental, you know, impasse there was last season is still there, maybe not to the same degree, but to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. That does seem like, like the case at this point. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, on, on the Friday podcast, Shannon was, was touting the idea of Markel Fultz being traded, um, just because the fit is clearly not there and that some other team might be able to talk themselves into, Hey, you know, we have this we have this offense where we have four shooters that we could put around Markel Fultz and maybe it'll work mm-hmm. better. And I mean, I think that's on the table. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're if that's a conversation that they're having internally because oh, the sure. seventy I mean, the seventy sixers team, as much as it is as much as it is the team of like Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons who are very young players, they still I feel like have to be in a win now mode. They can't yeah can't go backwards at this point and well, so yeah any trade for Fultz if you're the Sixers you'd you'd want to bring back a win now guy and I, yes. so I agree with you there but to me that means then that you're in that deal you're sending out the worst asset in Fultz I mean long term you know I, I think there are probably still teams that that think they could figure it out for him and he probably has more value than a lot of guys in this situation would but I, you know, what kind of player can you get with a package builder on Markel Fultz? Like to me, you'd almost have to trade him to a bad team because what good team, you know, is looking to add Markel Fultz as like their next piece? You know, it's too risky. Like the Bucks, for example, we just talked about them, or like the Raptors, a team like that, that we know for sure four games into the year is really good. Those teams would have no interest in Markel Fultz. It's, you know, like giving up a real player to get Markel Fultz makes no sense for them. To me, it would have to be, a, it would have to be a middle to lower tier team you know, that, that has to get rid of, you know, a, a good veteran and, and would be willing to take that risk. I mean, is there any team that stands out to you that, that could maybe be that team? You know, I think there, there are a couple of teams that are interesting, but a lot of them already have like young point guard prospects. Yeah, that's another thing. That's a good point. Like if you're talking like LA Clippers, maybe like Patrick Beverly for like Fultz or something like that, but they have Shake Gillis, Alexander, right. Cleveland's on the table, but they have Sexton, uh, um, like to me, it would Stuff take like a that. it would take a team like Charlotte. You know, like let's say let's say they get to January and they're like twenty and twenty seven, and it's starting to look like Kemba might not resign. You know, it would ha- it would have to almost be a perfect storm like that, where it's a a middling to bad team that has a star who could who they could lose for nothing. Uh, but then that you know, I don't know if you're Philly, you, do you necessarily want somebody on an expiring? It's a it's a really really tricky deal, and you know, it's kind of similar, I guess, to what the Lakers might end up doing if they trade Lazo Ball. But I think right now. Ball stock, you know, even even though he's coming off an injury and has been so up and down, I think his stock is considerably higher than Fultz. Oh yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, he's he's shown improvement in in his shot, and he's you know he's he's turned into a good three point shooter next to LeBron. And I mean, at the very minimum, he's he's been putting up you know double digit scoring with like five rebounds, five assists at least so far this year. And that's even next to LeBron James. So yeah, I mean, I I think Lonzo Ball has a, a ton more trade value than than Markel Fultz. I think Lonzo has done the little things a, a lot better than Fultz has, especially this year so far. Like I watched Lonzo in that Spurs game, didn't really look all that comfortable. I think that was only his, his second or third game back, and you know it was very clear that the shot to me is still a work in progress. It looks better. It seems like he either switches a shot and doesn't hit rim, or just completely airballs it. <laughs> he had one from the corner last night that was like a good three and a half feet right of the rim. Like I've someone posted the, the clip on Twitter. and was like, I don't think I've ever seen a, a ball die in the air like this. And it was, it almost looked like someone turned on like a high powered fan midway through and the <laughs> ball just like dropped out of nowhere. So the, I, I'm not really convinced that that shot is like, you know, he's all of a sudden like a knockdown shooter. That's going to take another couple of years. But mm-hmm. I mean, the way that he defends is way better than anyone thought. Um, you know, he's willing to mix it up for rebounds. He's willing to, to get loose balls, you know, things, things that you wouldn't necessarily expect from the type of reputation, I guess, that he had coming out of UCLA. So that's been really encouraging. He also had an off the backboard dunk last night. I mean, how many point guards can do that? I, I was pretty impressed by that. I actually didn't see that. I'll have to, I'll have to look for it. You're but... never going to guess who threw the pass. <laughs> uh, it was Lance. Lance. 
Lance Stevenson. Yes. Who, by the uh, way, Lance did. Lance went for what, like twenty-five, eight and eight last he, night. Did I read that really well? I mean, he's he's always. I mean, he's he's always one of those guys who any given night twenty points. Yeah. You know? Twenty-three, eight and eight with two steals, only three turnovers too, and he he managed to be. <laughs> he still only managed to be a plus six. <laughs> Uh, that's about as Lance as it gets. Yeah. All right, our final sponsor today, Hims. Uh, it's a wellness brand for men. Did you know that two thirds of men in the United States lose their hair by age 35? It's a real problem in this country. Not something that has affected me quite yet. Uh, but as I look into my, it's supposed to be what like your mom's dad. Yes. Right. Oh boy. Yeah, I'm in big trouble in that department <laughs> at some point. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're starting to look like Chris Paul, if you're starting to look like LeBron, you know, between the the spray on hair, if your wife has started to tell you you're looking a little bit like Costa Kufis, um, it's time to go to fourhims.com. One stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. Hims connects you with real doctors, medical grade solutions to combat hair loss. No sketchy pills. Nothing you can buy over the counter at the local BP. No waiting room, no awkward doctor visits. All you have to do is answer a few simple questions and everything will be shipped directly and discreetly to your door. Our listeners get a trial month of Hims for just $5 today, right now, while supplies last. See website for details. This is something that would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or to a pharmacy. In order to take advantage of this deal, go to 4 slash rwbasketball. That's 4 slash rwbasketball, F O R h-i-m-s dot com slash r-w basketball anything else you want to get to from last night's games or looking ahead to tonight i think we got four games on the slate tonight <laughs> yeah Boston, four Boston, games. Let's, let's talk boston at okc sure uh must win for okc i you know i'm, I'm actually going to say no because it's only their second game <laughs> with russell westbrook yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but no i mean yeah i mean second game with russell westbrook you want to win but generally yeah i think you do you you do um but i i do have concerns about them as a team overall like they just don't really have a lot of shooting i just it's not it's not looking great so far i've been like pleasantly surprised by Dennis schroeder and i i think they'll lean on him a lot more than expected um kind of based on the, the other talent on the team but um boston i did they lose to orlando in their most recent game they sure did um it might be if we're talking about who 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 wants it more or who needs it more it might actually be boston at this point to avoid a complete like fan base meltdown yeah this would this is kind of a game that would qualify as a bad loss i feel like for boston you know even i mean every loss like when 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 you're as good and as deep as they are like you, you feel like you should probably not lose any games uh but it is in okc i guess i guess maybe it wouldn't be that bad i wouldn't say i i mean I was kind of kidding about it being a must win, but like OKC starting 0-4, even without Russ for a couple of those games, I mean, he came back and he got waxed by the Kings. You know, That's it true. It wasn't like he came back and, you know, they're playing in San Antonio or something like that. I mean, that was that was a statement loss, I thought, by OKC. <laughs> uh, but no, this is going to be a fun one. I mean, there's Boston really hasn't looked all that good. I, I certainly wouldn't have guessed that they'd be 2-2. Two and two. If you would have told me they came out of the gate and went something like, you know, 20-3, and three, I, I would believe that. Um, but it, it does seem like Hayward is certainly not himself quite yet. He right. looks really hesitant. Um, he's kind of he's kind of just been a role player when he's out there, which, I mean, maybe for the first half of the season, that's how he functions as he works back. Um, Kyrie has really not shot the ball well at all. He's something. He's 4 of 22 from 3. Jason Tatum's 5 of 19 from 3. Jalen Brown's 5 of 15. Marcus Smart's 3 of 12, which shouldn't be all that surprising. But Boston hasn't <laughs> shot the ball well. Uh, and I, th- I think, you know, James put it pretty well, I think, on the pod the other day. He said that, you know, Hayward and Kyrie getting hurt last year, you know, didn't help the Celtics. You know, he, I, don't, I don't think he's saying, you know, oh, it was good that they got hurt for Tatum to get that, uh, that opportunity, stuff like that. I, he said it just made Brad Stevens' job easier, which is definitely the case. Um, and, you know, I don't think in the NBA with, with an 82-game season and with the way guys get hurt, you can never have too many guys, but – Right now, if you watch that team, it, it does seem like it's a your turn, my turn type of offense, you know, which right. is which is so so far against what Brad Stevens wants to do. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, at the very least, you know, the we know. I mean, we know the Celtics have just based on the amount of players they have. They have at least at least the highest like floor in the league, I think. Or I mean, other than maybe Golden State. 
just based on like, oh, if three, you know, three of their top five players gets hurt, can they still go over 500 kind of a scenario? And so I think they definitely have, uh, you know, they have the upper, the upper hand in that sense. But yeah, I mean, um, they really, there are only so many minutes that you can put your, your talent out there. I mean, you're going to be sacrificing, you know, Terry Rozier's minutes when Kyrie's in, not that Rozier should be playing over Kyrie um, or anything like that, but it's hard to you know know what to do exactly when your players are struggling. I mean, if Kyrie can't really hit any shots, it's like, well, should we just pull him for Terry Rozier? You know what I mean? Because well, it's like well, you it's, have so many options, right? I mean, Rozier. I mean, I, you said earlier, you know, so many teams have good young point guards, which is true. I mean, it's it's really tough to pigeonhole outside of the obvious, you know, Phoenix, Orlando uh, type of teams. Like, I mean, Terry Rozier could be a starter for half the league. You know, if, or he would at least compete with you know the incumbent. You know, like throw like Sacramento has Jaron Fox, who's been really good so far, and you know I, I think everybody likes him long term. But right now, like pound for pound, Terry Rozier might be a better player than him. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's that's kind of hard to that that's kind of hard to dispute right now. I do want to say right now, I just got a notification on my phone. Houston Rockets star James Harden. This is from Shams. Uh, grade one plus left hamstring strain will be reevaluated next week. Grade so, one plus. That's what it said. That's okay. what his tweet said. So not so, quite a grade two. <laughs> not quite. But uh, Hargan's at least out for a week. Uh, could be more than that. So um, that will be. I, I guess uh, to me, I'm most interested to see what Carmelo can do because we're. Yeah. I mean, oh, you're getting sure. Chris Paul back. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, now the you know the Melo had a really good game the other night, so that was encouraging. But he's still taking fewer shots than he took in Oklahoma City, which is strange to me. Um, so yeah, that, that, that definitely makes things interesting for Houston who haven't started particularly well anyway. No, they have not. They, uh, they have not looked like themselves, you know, won won a close game uh, against the Lakers over the weekend that obviously had some other storylines, but getting Chris Paul back should help. Um, I think this is still a relief for them. I mean, I, I don't think they thought this was a super serious injury. I mean, Harden was able to walk off the court and, and didn't look, you know, extremely hampered last night, but you know, if he only misses two games, I think that's a victory. Not so much for my fantasy basketball teams. I have a team. I have a team that I have Harden, Barton, Dunn, and Bobby Portis, who the Bulls announced is going to miss oh, what four to six weeks. Yes. Yeah. Who? I mean, like, I don't. You're, you know, Bobby yeah, I think Portis you might be done. I might be. I very well might be, and I'm very much regretting it. One of the leagues I had the number one pick, and I took James Harden over Giannis and Davis, and with the way the league works, like it, it made sense at the time, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, if Giannis averages like twenty-eight and fifteen with with two blocks and a steal and a half, I'm going to be in big trouble there. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. To, I mean, people were scared to take Anthony Davis number one because of injuries. Although I think that's less so this year. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's 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 hard because if you if you have a top five pick and any of those guys miss extended time, you're in you're in serious trouble unless you drafted incredibly well throughout mm-hmm. the rest of it. Okay. Uh, well, we'll leave off. I, I came up with a stat last night. I was really like deep, deep, deep into the basketball reference rabbit hole. Um, looking at like, looking the best at of us. yeah. After the Bucks game, I was like, "Well, what's the longest winning streak ever?" You know, the Bucks are at four. How long can this go? And so, obviously, I you know found my way back to the 2012-13 Miami Heat basketball reference page, which at this point I, that should just be like my homepage on Chrome. <laughs> um, so they won 27 straight. This is this isn't like that crazy of a stat or something that nobody knew. It was just I just want to remind people how good this team was. They won 27 in a row and from the start of that streak on February 3rd um to May 22nd, which was game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals, they won 46 out of 49 games. <laughs> they won they lost 3 games from February 3rd to May 22nd in the year 2013. Just keep that in mind that that's honestly incredible i think if you i think if you threw that kind of a number out like without any context like what team has done this i think a lot of people would probably say the warriors yeah and yeah i mean the warriors probably honestly got close right i mean how many did they win was that three years ago when they came into milwaukee on the street (laughs) it was a 73 win year obviously i mean when you lose nine games in a year you're you're like inherently going to have these crazy streaks so they opened the year 24 and 0 Lost to Milwaukee. I mean, they were twenty nine and one at one point. They were thirty six and two at one point. But no, they never quite went on that type of run. I mean, they they won forty eight out of fifty two, which is pretty impressive. Uh, they won fifty five out of sixty 
They won 62 out of 68. Uh, but, I mean, to me, 46 out of 49, I think, is more impressive. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. That said, I think that Heat team was nowhere near as good as Golden no. State. No, but it was a, a weird, like, it wasn't that long ago. It was an incredibly different style of basketball. Yes. Oh, my God, yes. Um, so I think that gave them, like, that, I think that was when you could get away with more, like, you know, we just have the more talented players, like, yep. we can we can get away with this. And they were also built really well. Like for a while there, they had, you know, they're an amazing defense. They were shoving people down on defense and just dominating through offensive yeah. efficiency. So that was definitely, um, definitely an incredible run that they had. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the schedule too. It was a very Eastern conference heavy, uh, portion of the schedule when the heat went on that streak. A lot of the, the, the Charlotte Bobcats are popping up on here multiple times. <laughs> uh, the Cavaliers multiple times, Weirdly enough, over during that streak, they played only one overtime game. They went to double OT at home against the Kings. Oh, wow. And obviously won that game. Uh, I remember where I was when the streak snapped. They, they played the Bulls. Uh, I was at a seafood restaurant in Panama City Beach. <laughs> Ru- ruined my entire spring break, losing the 27-game streak. I'm sorry that happened to you. Yeah, thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. Okay, we'll wrap this up. Uh, you'll be back tomorrow with Ken and Shannon, right? Uh, not Ken because he is out of town, but I will be with Shannon. Okay, perfect.